hppodcraft.com. I have often wondered if the majority of mankind ever paused to reflect upon the occasionally titanic significance of dreams and of the obscure world to which they belong. Whilst the greater number of our nocturnal visions are perhaps no more than faint and fantastic reflections of our waking experiences, Freud to the contrary with his puerile symbolism, there are still a certain remainder whose immundane and ethereal character permit of no ordinary interpretation whose vaguely exciting and disquieting effect suggests possible minute glimpses into a sphere of mental existence no less important than physical life, yet separated from that life by an all but impassable barrier. Ooh. <laughs> oh, Mr. Lehman. That was amazing. <laughs> if only we were here right now. I know. It. Well, I, I am happy that this week we do have Andrew returning. Uh, we had an excellent reader last week, uh, but Andrew's back this week to, All right. to lay down his sonorous tone. I did have a note about our excellent reader last week, Rachel Ford. Oh, yeah? Yes, I uh, proposed to her, and I am now engaged to her. Right after that podcast? Right after that podcast. Never wow. met her before. Yeah, never met her before. Actually, I thought it was funny in the last um, in the last episode, you uh, did mention that you weren't married, as if that was on your mind. <laughs> Did I? You did. Well, that's cool, man. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very that's much. That's awesome. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, yes. personal things aside... Uh, well, I, I don't think that you have to put that aside because we're here to discuss today a love story. Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Is it love? <laughs> I read... Seriously, I, I read it as... there's it's, it's sort of almost like a Brokeback Mountain story where you have two men who you think would never be together. There's one's young and intellectual... And then the other's middle-aged and slack-jawed. Yeah. And, and together, they're kept apart by the waking world, but yeah. in their dreams. Man. Who are you again? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I guess we should introduce ourselves. Yeah, you might want to introduce <clears throat> yourself, sir. I'm, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. Oh, okay. Who are you? I'm Chris Lackey. And where, what are we doing today? This is the HP Lovecraft <laughs> Literary Podcast. See, I assume people knew that when they showed up here, but uh, <laughs> we're at hppodcraft.com. Thanks for coming, folks. We're going to talk about Beyond the Wall of Sleep today. That was the opening paragraph we heard. And then in the next paragraph, our main guy kind of posits that there's some kind of life after sleep. Yeah. Well, not just life after sleep. There's a whole other world what beyond. He, exactly. <laughs> what he says is, <laughs> From my experience, I cannot doubt but that man, when lost to terrestrial consciousness, is indeed sojourning in another and uncorporeal life of far different nature from the life we know and of which only the slightest and most indistinct memories linger after waking. Sometimes I believe that this less material life is our truer life, and that our vain presence on the terraqueous globe is itself the secondary or merely virtual phenomenon. Lovecraft loves his dreams, man. Yeah, I'm a little disturbed. I mean, I hope that our truer selves aren't our dream selves. I hope so. Because I, <laughs> so I do a lot of crazy stuff in dreams. Sure. There's That's this guy, the, the reader, or the, mm. I'm the, sorry, the writer of the, the story is an intern at, at a, a psychiatric hospital. Mm. There's this patient there whose name is uh, Slater, right, Joe Slater. Slater. He's a, a yokel. Yes, he's a mountain folk. Mountain folk. And uh, Lovecraft refers to him as white trash. I can't believe he said white trash. The he actual quote trash, yeah. is, Among these odd folk who correspond exactly to the decadent element of white trash in the South, law and morals are non-existent. And their general mental status is probably below that of any other section of Native American people. Now, well, he's not saying Native American people. He's saying people who are Native to America. Right. I don't think Native American was a 
generally accepted term at the time. No, probably to refer to not. Yes, yeah. But uh, um, actually, he doesn't call him white trash. He says that like this is the East Coast equivalent to white trash <laughs> in the South. I think is what he's saying. Which is really funny. Okay, so so what about Joe? Joe was put in a mental institution because one day near noon. After a profound sleep begun in a whiskey debauch at about five of the previous afternoon, the man had roused himself most suddenly with ululations so horrible and unearthly that they brought several neighbors to his cabin, a filthy sty where he dwelt with a family as indescribable as himself. Rushing out into the snow, he had flung his arms aloft and commenced a series of leaps directly upward in the air, the while shouting his determination to reach some big, big cabin with brightness in the roof and walls and floor and the loud, queer music far away. As two men of moderate size sought to restrain him, he had struggled with maniacal force and fury, screaming of his desire and need to find and kill a certain thing that shines and shakes and laughs. At length, after temporarily felling one of his detainers with a sudden blow, he had flung himself upon the other in a demoniac ecstasy of bloodthirstiness, shrieking fiendishly that he would jump high in the air and burn his way through anything that stopped him. He puts a beat down on somebody, he right? He puts a beat down on a, another guy whose name's Slater, I believe. It, oh, yeah, I found that funny. It's his neighbor. It's his neighbor, but he's got the same last he's name. He's got the same last suggests name. Suggests that they're inbred. Uh, so yeah, he, not does he put the beat down to him? And I think the description is that he is like a, a, a an unrecognizable pulp-like thing that had been a living man, but an hour before. And then Slater runs off into the woods. He's gone for a few days. It's all snowy and everything out there. So yeah, like, in fact, I think they, the other townspeople are like, let's just let him freeze to death out there. We don't even want to deal with this guy. <laughs> he beat he beat one of our friends into a pulp. And, yeah, and let's just this guy's uh, dangerous. He's yeah. dangerous. But eventually, the cops got involved and they got a posse together and they found him. He was. In a, in a tree stump, trying to keep warm, and they take him to jail. Right. He says he doesn't remember. He remember going to bed after drinking a bunch. Right. And then woke up, and, and he had bloody fists and looked down at this dead person, and then took off running yeah. out into the woods, because, you know, he was like, I did something bad, I gotta get out of here. I don't and they, remember they, doing so it. So they take him to jail, and they bring in some alienists from Albany. Some alienists. <laughs> <laughs> I think alienists from Albany would be a great primetime television show. Oh, that's great. An alienist is, means psychiatrist, basically. Yes. Yes, it's just a more antiquated term. And they, they come and they talk to him, um, and like you said, he doesn't know what's going on, but eventually, after a couple of days, uh, he wakes up from his sleep and starts talking all kinds of crazy stuff. Babbling in his backwoods dialect of green edifices of light, oceans of space, strange music, and shadowy mountains and valleys. But most of all did he dwell upon some mysterious blazing entity that shook and laughed and mocked at him. This vast, vague personality seemed to have done him a terrible wrong, and to kill it in triumphant revenge was his paramount desire. Yeah, he's got this this vengeance for this for this something. You know, mm-hmm. the, this, the the alienist uh, don't really know exactly what he's talking about. They know that he's really ticked. Yeah, but he's only ticked half the time because he doesn't remember you know this stuff most of the time. Yeah, right. So right. he goes to trial and he's acquitted because of of uh, reasons of insanity. Right. So he has to be put in a mental institution, which is what gets him into the institution where our protagonist finds him. Yes. The intern, and so the intern is, you know, fascinated by this guy because he studies dreams. He's got the, he's got his own theories about dreams in the dream world. Well, not only does he have his own theories, luckily our uh, our guy has created his own brainwave machine. Apparently, <laughs> well, that's let's hold on here. You want to get right to it, but um, the uh... <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Well, first of all, because he knows this guy has problems when he's sleeping, and he and he's tapped into this stuff. He starts talking to Joe and. Um, the intern befriends him. He's really nice to him, and 
And, you know, Joe's basically in there weaving baskets and, and doing mm-hmm. the type of thing. And they have to straightjacket him down every once in a while when he goes to bed because they know he's going to flip out again. He's, he's trying to understand what's going on with these dreams and these dream worlds, the intern. And so he's like, oh, gosh, I wish I could get in his head and know what's going on. Hey, wait a minute. You know, back in college, you know, I made I, – I tried to make this machine that could read people's minds. Yeah. Never <laughs> – <laughs> you know, maybe I should pull pull that old thing out, dust it off, and give it a whirl. Now. And I totally imagine it's just a colander with some hangers <laughs> and some tin foil, you know, a couple it, of fishing lures. It reminds me of when I was very, very young. I must have been five or six years old. I remember I tried to build a robot. Yeah. I, I took <laughs> I took cardboard boxes and I, I made them into a general shape of a robot, and uh-huh. I just took a bunch of wires, yeah. and I crammed it inside, and I took a battery and crammed it in there, and I expected it to work. Yeah, I was going to say, you must have been really disappointed when for some reason it, it didn't just, work. Nothing happened. It didn't work. And right. I kept thinking of, the, you know, that this guy, you know, the intern, made me think that he's got this wacky device. That totally reminds me of my sister and I, we're getting way off track here, but my sister and I tried to make a smiling machine, which was a, um, <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was the same thing. It was a cardboard box, and we cut the front out so you could see your face when you put it on your head. And there were two. There was a hole on each side, and we put yarn through the holes. And then at the end of the yarn were unfolded paper clips that you would hook into your mouth. And then the other person would get behind and pull the yarn out so it would make you smile. It was like the most dangerous thing. And we uh, didn't practice their demo. It we didn't have a beta version. You know, we just went straight straight ahead to show that to my folks. And before she could even pull the yarn to make me look like the Joker for the rest of my life, my, <clears throat> my parents put a smackdown on it. Anyway, yeah, he's got a brainwave machine, and uh, so, so he tries the brainwave machine while he's awake. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't work. Well, he well he puts it on Joe while Joe's sleeping, and he tries to listen in, but nothing's happening. Yeah, nothing happens. He messes with some dials and you know tries some things out. Nothing happens, and then uh, basically his his boss, the head of the institution, he says, "Hey, look, intern, Val, you're you're getting too obsessed with your work. It's time for you to take a vacation. Yeah, you're, you have to take a vacation. Right. So before he is required to leave to take his vacation, he, uh, you know, the intern goes, "I'm going to give this one last try." Also, Joe. He's dying. He's dying. It's like he's a little like E.T. He's... <laughs> I think he says in the story something like, you know, Joe hasn't been able to run around in his native mountains. Oh, right. he and he misses the wild. Like, he talks about him yeah. like he's a dog. I know, it's, exactly. It's, so he's... I just so terrible. I immediately imagine him just being like all gray and ashen like E.T. <laughs> so yeah, Joe's dying oh. and he's getting sick. He's Sorry, like, Joe. You know, uh, poor Joe. And... Yeah. So, so well, one night Joe's feeling really feeble, yeah, and he doesn't even put the straitjacket on him because he knows he can't run around or hurt yeah. anybody. And he he turns the brainwave machine on, and Joe falls asleep. Yes, and the nurse that's with them falls asleep, and then our protagonist also falls asleep right. with that thing on, and and that's when everything goes crazy. The sound of weird lyric melody was what aroused me. Chords, vibrations, and harmonic ecstasies echoed passionately on every hand while on my ravished sight burst the stupendous spectacle of ultimate beauty. Walls, columns, and architraves of living fire blazed effulgently around the spot where I seemed to float in air, extending upward to an infinitely high vaulted dome of indescribable splendor. Amidst this Elysian realm I dwelt not as a stranger, for each sight and sound was familiar to me just as it had been for uncounted eons of eternity before and would be for like eternities to come. So he finds uh, he finds this crazy what dreams may come kind of world there. <laughs> um, 
that's all you know CG, and he can kind of control it with his mind. Yeah, and I was he's thinking, flying around. I don't know. I felt like it was uh, you know kind of a like one of those you know kind of acid trip kind of oh, things. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's how I pictured it. Like. Um, you know, where yeah, like a health like, movie, or, or no more like like that, yeah. or more like a Yes album cover. You know oh, what I mean? Right, like right. I kind of have one of those sort of the. But I think according to the rules of the story, you would see the Yes album cover. Oh right, yeah. And I would unfortunately be watching the Robin Williams movie What Dreams May Come. <laughs> unfortunately, because <laughs> you control what you see. I think he says. Well, eventually, yeah, uh, he finds Joe's dream self. Yes. And they kind of drift along in the void well, together. He, yeah, well, he thinks it's Joe's dream, yeah, dream right. self. Yeah, well, it, it's this unnamed figure, and then they, they hold hands, and then they fly Let's through see. space together. I know, and it's kind of beautiful. this dream valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, Then the resplendent aura of my brother of light drew near and held colloquy with me, soul to soul, with silent and perfect interchange of thought. It is fairly romantic. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, I mean... I, you can see it as romantic. I, I personally, okay. it, it <laughs> I just saw it as it's a, a spiritual experience. Yeah. So, well, actually, I imagine them in their dream selves as these like giant amoebas floating around in space for some reason. No, I pictured them as like luminescent. Well, he's one of the descriptions in there. He says they're neither physical nor spirit. You know, they're kind mm-hmm. of like a combination of the two. So I kind of picture them as like, you know, naked luminescent ghost people. Well, whatever they look like, unfortunately, it doesn't last. They feel no. themselves being pulled back yes. to their earthly mm-hmm. bodies. Um, and then they wake up. And Joe's expression, Joe even wakes up. Yeah. But his whole expression has changed. Yeah. Right? He's His eyes are bigger and bluer. And mm-hmm. and he looks to uh, the protagonist. Yeah. Who's the got the wire hanger thing on his head. Uh-huh. And he says to him, Joe Slater is dead. Came the sole petrifying voice of an agency from beyond the wall of sleep. He is better dead, for he was unfit to bear the active intellect of cosmic entity. His gross body could not undergo the needed adjustments between ethereal life and planet life. He was too much an animal, too little a man. Yet it is through his deficiency that you have come to discover me, for the cosmic and planet souls rightly should never meet. He has been in my torment and diurnal prison for 42 of your terrestrial years. And he says, you know, the thing that he's hunting in the dreamlands or whatever is uh, a star. Yes. Right? Algol? Algol? Do you know how to pronounce it? Algol. Algol, the demon star? That's as far as I know. And then Joe dies. And then Joe dies, yes. And uh, the... There's a kind of a cool... He describes like... uh, because he's talking, he has, a, he has a, a fairly lengthy conversation with him, right. and he goes, I cannot speak longer, for the body of Joe Slater grows cold and rigid, and the coarse brains are ceasing to vibrate as I wish. You have been my only friend on this planet, the only soul to sense and seek for me within the repellent form which lies on this couch. We shall meet again. Perhaps... In the shining mists of Orion's sword, perhaps on a bleak plateau in prehistoric Asia, perhaps in unremembered dreams tonight, perhaps in some other form, an eon hence, when the solar system shall have been swept away. You've been my only friend. Yeah, you've been my only friend on this planet. And lover. No, he doesn't say lover. That's... I think I read that. I don't have my notes in front that's of me. Between... I think that's what it said. That's not. I'm looking at it right now, and it says it doesn't say lover. I was reading the dream lines in between the regular lines. You didn't read those. If you could, if you could dream, 
this joke's going nowhere. So, so, so basically, he told you know I had this great battle, and someday again in the future we're gonna meet. You know, mm -hmm. the future or the past or whatever. But you know, this your form right now is only temporary. Right. You know, it's very uplifting, almost like um, kind of feels very new agey to me. Yeah. Well, it is new. I hear new agey people say that all the time because one of them got fed some science like that you know there was a big bang and that we're all made up of the same sort of material and they're like we're all stars man there's all of us are stars well, technically it's true in yes um but in, we're made of star energy. stuff to quote yes. carl sagan we're made of star stuff we are made of star stuff uh but anyway so at the very last end of See, i think i sounded like a jerk right there didn't i because yeah. <laughs> i'm like well they got fed some science which they couldn't possibly <laughs> understand the way i do <laughs> It's not a little egotistical. It did. But in the, so in the end, all he knows is that his buddy said, I'm hunting Algol, the yes. demon star. And uh, his boss tells him that he's overworked. But then he finds a newspaper report. Right, right, yes. Yeah, he finds a newspaper report. And this says, On February 22nd, 1901, a marvelous new star was discovered by Dr. Anderson of Edinburgh, not very far from Algol. No star had been visible at that point before. Within 24 hours, the stranger had become so bright that it outshone Capella. In a week or two, it had visibly faded. And in the course of a few months, it was hardly discernible with the naked eye. So, uh, Algol, right. Okay, so, so, and he says that he's going to, he's been trying to fight whatever that star is. Yes. For a long time. For a long time. But he's not honest. been able to because he's bound by his physical... Yeah, he's been stuck in he's been stuck in Joe Slater right. for like some forty odd years, and he says you helped me out. You were yeah. the beacon that helped me find Algol, the mm -hmm. demon star. Mm -hmm. And tonight I'm going to be his nemesis. I'm going to go, you know, kick I'm going to get him now that I'm dying. Thank you, you know, thank you for helping me. You're my pal. So if that's the case, then uh, I'm guessing he did, wasn't very successful. No, no, no. Because he says, look in this, you know, look to the sky, and I'll, I'll, you're going to show up. And so in this report, it says, hey, not far from Algol. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess it is. But Algol's yeah. still there, and this star shone brilliantly and then faded out. It's kind of a depressing ending. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't, quite, I didn't quite think about that. Yeah. So he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take on the demon star. You watch. And you did watch, and you failed. Yeah, he, he took him <laughs> on, and then he... Unless I'm reading that wrong. No, that's... I mean, that's what he says. Yeah, no, you read it totally right. That's, yeah. yeah. So that's the end of the story. That is the end of the story. This story actually made me reconsider my comments last week about Lovecraft's racism. I mean, he mm -hmm. was definitely... had racist tendencies. But after reading the story, he, just kind of a snob... This character is basically poor, and just because he's poor and out in the mountains, he is of less, you know, less important stock. In fact, mm -hmm. he talks about him like he's a, like a dog. Yeah, this is one of my favorite quotes. Though well above the middle stature and of somewhat brawny frame, he was given an absurd appearance of harmless stupidity by the pale, sleepy blueness of his small, watery eyes, the scantiness of his neglected and never-shaven growth of yellow beard, and the listless drooping of his heavy nether lip. <laughs> his nether lip. <laughs> my nether lip. I really like that phrase. Oh, no, I, I like nether anything. It reminds me of that, I can't remember which Anne Rice novel it was, where she had a sex scene, and she she was like, he touched me in my nether mound. <laughs> <laughs> nether mound. Oh, my. Oh, But God. you're right. He's so... Um, 
the language that he uses to describe this guy. In fact, you know, there was one part where I thought he was kind of being nice for just a moment. Yeah, and then he freaking comes back in with it. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Not that he ever recognized me during his attacks when I hung breathlessly upon his chaotic but cosmic word pictures. But he knew me in his quiet hours, when he would sit by his barred window weaving baskets of straw and willow, and perhaps pining for the mountain freedom he could never again enjoy. His family never called to see him. Probably it had found another temporary head after the manner of decadent mountain folk. After the manner of decadent mountain folk. <laughs> like, it seems nice. And then, then he just comes in, boom, right in the yeah, gut. You're decadent like, oh, mountain he's being folk. really sweet. He's, oh, come on, decadent mountain folk. Jeez. I know. Lovecraft. What did you think of the story? I thought it was silly. Yeah? Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> that see the reason I, the re- that he described him like a dog makes their love story that much more unlikely, <laughs> and that's why I liked it. Oh, Can you boy. tell me why it was written? I mean, what was he thinking when he? Well, came it was up based on a, an article he read in the New York Tribune, uh-huh. uh, reporting that the state police uh, found some guy named Slater, uh, and he was up in the Catskills, and there was a, a murder, I believe, around the same time. The Nova, you know, he mentioned the Nova, the, the real star, mm-hmm. which was uh, G.K. Persei. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, based on a, a real scientific phenomenon gotcha. that still exists. When I, I mean, the Beyond the Wall of Sleep, I think I remember that title really appealing to me when I was in high school. It just sounds cool, man. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody dreams you yeah know, and everybody kind of has that i mean it feel it's another world you know the dreamy world seems very real and I, I i seemed like something people would write on their um you know their notebook covers and i when i did a search on the title i actually turned up of course not one but two songs uh, right, called yes. beyond the wall of sleep there's one by the smithereens oh okay make that three i found lyrics from a band called sentenced a band called rage uh-huh both had songs called Beyond the Wall of Sleep. What, right. in, in the Smithereens had uh, Yeah, well, well in, in Kenneth Hyde's book, Tour mm-hmm. to Lovecraft, he yes. mentions it. Maybe it's an album, not a song. Well, there's an album by the Cassandra Complex called Beyond the Wall of Sleep that oh, I actually geez. had at one point. Because uh, they're sort of a goth industrial band that I was oh, I into see. back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, lots in the music. Uh, and there is a movie. It was made in 2006, Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Yeah. I read a review of it, and it was it was pretty scathing. Yeah, in fact, I have some of those. So uh, I, I looked it up, <laughs> and I hadn't seen it. Tom Savini's in it. That's all I know. Yeah. But, you know, Tom Savini's in lots of stuff. He is in lots of stuff. Uh, and sometimes very well used. Other right. times I think he's being generous because he likes to support low-budget horror. Yes. Um, but some of these reviews were, if you need to fall asleep to something. This is off of IMDb. Uh-huh. <laughs> The single worst movie I've ever seen. Wow. Somebody wrote, in quote, uh, unwatchable, and that's not something I say often. Yeah. Avoid at all costs. Whoa. And then one review said hilarious, but I suspect it was from one of the filmmaker's girlfriends, moms, or best friends. Oh. I have some experience in these matters. I know what, I know what those <laughs> things uh, well, I read like. Was it supposed to be? It's not a comedy. It's a, it's no, a no. It, I'm, literally, it sounded like a shill. Like, okay, this movie's not much, but it's hilarious for what they were trying oh, to do. You know, it's like I an see. explaining kind right, of movie. Right, 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 um, right. And, and I haven't seen this movie. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I do think that it's pretty indicative of how people treat this guy's work. Polaris is the only story we've done so far that hasn't been made into a movie. Yeah. And I... I don't think well Dagon actually wasn't even that story but no. but you know I mean it's it's just they just pull the title they make a piece of crap movie that has nothing to do with the story right 
if you're a fan, it does get kind of infuriating. It, it's it's pretty infuriating. Now, somebody uh, that has made a film that I think uh, really tried to capture that Lovecraft uh, is our narrator day. Our <laughs> narrator day, Andrew, Andrew Lehman. That's true. How strange that we find that one to be yeah, so no. authentic. Hmm. Totally no. objective. I do like the Resurrected, which is an adaptation of the oh, case right, of Charles yeah. Dexter Ward. I do like uh, that, starring Chris Sarandon, who's a friend. Yeah. So I guess, <laughs> but uh, Dig, uh, I, I like Mouth of Madness. Well, that's see, you're right. There's so few that are actual direct adaptations. Yeah. of any stories. Yeah, and we talked about that before. Part of it is because they're kind of unfilmable. <laughs> I will say that every year there is um, H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival yes. in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens, did I already say, in October? There is a website called unfilmable.com as well that I believe covers Lovecraft stuff on, on film. Yeah. Anyhow. I think so. Uh, but there are, and there's a lot of uh, low-budget uh, shorts that have been made that based on Lovecraft's work, all of which I haven't seen even right. a majority of them because there are so many. And some yeah. are really good. Some are, uh, Brian Moore, uh, his cool oh, hair, yeah. I loved. And it, Brian Moore, well, wait, he was, there's a... Um, uh, Lovecraft documentary that came out last year, and I re- and I know that it. I think it might have even won an award at the at the Comic Con. Oh, really? But I saw Brian Moore when he was shopping it around. Now, it's not. I don't know if it's his movie or he was just helping out. Or oh, wow. um, uh, Brian Moore is a sculptor who makes uh, different toys and and, and that's well, yeah, models, models uh, uh, sculptures, all types of things. He's a great guy, but he um, anyway. He I think. You should go see it. I should see it, obviously. Fear of the Unknown. Lovecraft, Fear of the Unknown. I haven't heard anything about it. This is the first I've heard of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I hear it's, it's, it's quite good. Last week, mm-hmm. uh, I said something about uh, the Aurora Borealis. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah. some feedback. Yeah, we got a correction from uh, J.B. Lee, uh, who posted on the website, uh, that I made a mistake. And I, and I did. I've got his, um, <clears throat> J.B. wrote, I, th- I thought it was, it was pretty funny what he wrote. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, read it. Aurorae are not the atmosphere-burning guys. They are the atmosphere-ionized, which is quite a horse of a different color out of space. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know their usual range. I do know that one appeared in the sky over West Virginia back in the 1940s, resulting in hillbilly panic, widespread swooning, and people fleeing into churches, sure that the second coming had taken them unawares. Joe Slater would understand, though we'll save that for next week. Yeah. Nice. So thank you, JB. Yeah, thanks, JB. And he's very complimentary to the podcast, uh, despite uh, my blazing air. Yeah. (laughs) Fool. Somebody else wrote also, uh, please, please don't do any Durlath Lovecraft stories. I beg you, not for my sake, but for your own. They're just absolutely cousin-touching horrible. (laughs) They, uh... He's right. <laughs> yeah, he's right. Don't worry about it, man. We're not going to talk gonna, about it. We're not going to. We're not going to read. One quote that made me laugh is... Uh... Then had followed an armed searching party, whose purpose, whatever it may have been originally, became that of a sheriff's posse, after one of the seldom popular state troopers had by accident observed, then questioned, and finally joined the seekers. I found that so funny, because, I mean, the parenthetical notation, whatever it may have been originally, kind of suggests, like... Those guys would have gone out in the cold, killed him if they found him. You're right. But maybe it also could have descended into some kind of like snow orgy or something. I mean, who knows what they were up to out there. <laughs> snow orgy. And then, uh, uh, then it became a sheriff's posse after one of the seldom popular state troopers showed up. It's like an episode of Cops out there. It's awesome. But they were going to dispense some frontier justice. And like, I know. Luckily, yeah. uh, cops showed up. I just thought they'd wrestle him. I thought it'd be like they'd strip down and just wrestle in the snow. I don't I know do why that, I thought that, but I just, just let him go out there. He'll freeze to death. <laughs> so he beat Joe Bob into a pulp. 
big deal. Yeah, ah, golly. I like at the end, he said, As I look back across the years, I realize how unreal it seems, and sometimes wonder if old Dr. Fenton was not right when he charged it all to my excited imagination. I like it when they at least give some credence to that it could have all been complete yeah. manure, you know? Yeah, I like, I mean, that the, that the um, person is reasonable. Yeah, you know, speaking that... of, it, it reminds me of Val Luton's movies, um, Cat People, Isle of the Dead. He was a... He made these great RKO uh, 1940s movies, but um, there was always a suggestion that maybe whatever supernatural in it had happened wasn't supernatural. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. I really it's like really that. cool. So you, it, it kind of lets the audience go one way or the other. Yeah. 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 Oh, <laughs> one quote that made me laugh. In the cell with us was one nurse, a mediocre fellow who did not understand the purpose of the apparatus or think to inquire into my course. I mean, he's a jerk. <laughs> the guy's a jerk. First of all, uh, a mediocre fellow who didn't understand what I was, you know, he didn't even think to inquire. Probably you showed up with a colander and some wires on your head and he right. just didn't want to talk to you. <laughs> it's like, I don't, this guy, I don't want to know what craziness this, this guy is getting into right here. It's just not, it's not of my business. I don't want to deal with it. I'll uh-huh. give Lovecraft props for having a male nurse in this story. Oh yeah, he has a male nurse. Right, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. One of the things about, about this story, just in general, and one of my uh, feelings is it really seems like the intern is Lovecraft to me. Like, Lovecraft yeah. kind of has this this wish dream that he, you know, through his dreaming and sleep, that he could, you know, interact with these really awesome beings, yeah. you know, and, like, help them in their awesome tasks. And, yeah. you know, like, it, it seemed very... Um, High school to yeah. me, like the high school fantasies that you know your typical nerds would have. You know, it's like, yeah, man, sure. I'm stuck in this world, and if I could just break through into wall sleep, I'm, I'm a, I'm a luminescent being, man. And <laughs> I can... well, now I would. So we should talk about the elephant in the room, which is basically sure. that this is a nightmare on Elm Street story. <laughs> because the guys having problems. The, it is the, the monster star, which is let's face it, Freddy Krueger. He's yeah. bugging him. He wants yeah. to get him. Yeah. And then his friend goes to sleep as well so he can become a dream warrior with him and get in there. Which you said earlier. I did. I did say and dream he, warrior. he wants to get in there with him and, and so they can hold hands and fight Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And be in love. Right. Why? <laughs> no. Not in love. They're not in love. There's nothing. Look, man. I mean, I would say that there's definitely a bond of some kind, but... I, I mean, like a good love story, and this is all I'm going to get. I don't know why you're tearing it down. Uh, okay, I'll let you There's have no it. more love stories. I'll let, you, I'll let you have this love story, then. Thank you. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is a beautiful love story. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. No problem. And no let problem. me say it one more time. Congratulations on your engagement. Oh, yeah. I've, I found my own love story. You did. <laughs> and with that, we're going to leave you for today. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. And uh, at hppodcraft.com. Hey, uh, you know what? We forgot to tell people what the story is for next week. Oh, yeah, the story for next week. I believe it is the uh, translation of Juan Valdez. (laughs) Perfect. The transition of Juan Romero is the story that we will be reading.